Okay. Are we ready? Let's hope so. I got my seatbelt on and my crash crash helmet on. Let's go for it. Uh, we'll be good. Oh, thanks, crew. Banging on that. Okay. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I'm your host, Cameron Ivey, and we have a very special episode today. Today, I have Christopher Leach. He is the CISO advisor for Cisco. Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So, Chris, I just wanted to kick things off. You know, where where did you start? How did you get into being a, a CISO? You know, when you graduated from college, you know, were you even in security? Kind of give us a, a layout of your background. Yeah, so, so I actually um, graduated with a degree in accounting, um, and I was a partner at Grant Thornton. Oh, wow. And, and I dealt with back then, I dealt with mostly the IT risks world. And, and this was during the days when the Internet was young and and still we called it the wild, wild west. And working with the American Institute of CPAs kind of developed a lot of the initial structure that they wrote and required CPAs to do around auditing of the Internet, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I was speaking one day at a banking conference and was approached by one CEO of a large bank. And his comments to me were twofold. The first one was, great job. And the second one was, you will be working for me. And then he walked away. <laughs> I thought, whoa. And so I did, go, I did go to work for him. And that was my first job as a CISO. And so that was uh, almost 22 years ago that I've been a CISO for that, in that realm for 22 years. Oh, wow. So that was about 90. That was right after HIPAA, right? So let's just paint a picture for everyone. It's August 21st, 1996. Bill Clinton just signed the law for HIPAA to be in full effect. This must have been that was obviously I think it started around 97. And I mean, you're just be, you're just stepping into that role for the first time, right? Like right when HIPAA kind of starts starts so to get actually, going. Yeah. And, and probably so probably a little bit after that, maybe. So yeah. actually it was my, I can remember this just because everyone talks about 9-11. It was probably eight months before 9-11, being the chief security officer of a bank in New York. Yeah. Um, HIPAA, yes, was around, and, and right on the heels of that, you had things like GLB, et cetera. So it was really kind of a, a pivotal point for security, privacy, everything at that point in time. And it was people's eyes opening up. Right. And, and, and I guess um, let's do a comparison. So from that point when you stepped into that role and something like HIPAA for the first time being out and so brand new, what's the difference you see in today in 2020, the approach around data privacy and, and uh, compliance regulations? I, I, so let's, let's talk trends in general and then right. your specifics. So trending, you know, back, back then, back 20 years ago, they were immediate needs that needed to be addressed. So for example, HIPAA came out because it was so important to start looking at healthcare in general, but then what about the records? And so people started to concern themselves with that. Then yeah. we had, as I mentioned, 9-11, all of a sudden then the security side of things became paramount. Today, I think I think we are surprised, and I, I really am surprised at the focus that we are placing on privacy today, simply because the argument has always been over the last, 
specifically over the last 10 years that, oh, the Gen Xers and, you know, the younger people don't care about privacy. They put everything online and privacy is not important and and uh, the older generation is important. So we thought there was going to be a big tug of war. And lo and behold, how wrong were we? Because certainly with with the advent of GDPR and everything else that's happening in our country, yeah. privacy is becoming so focal. And it's like, whoa, it came out of left field. No one was No one was expecting it. I would say in general that that these are good things to have happen. And I say in general because the other side of that coin is too much regulation, too much uh, checking of the box becomes very mind-numbing and takes away from the real world. But it's good because it does raise the bar so that we're all dealing with the same bar, the same level of um, criteria that we need to, to support and comply with. And if I'm not, I need to get there. But if there's too much, then I am. It's taking me away from other stuff that I need to do. Right, that's a good point. And I, I, the other kind of—I don't know if you hear this chatter as well, but being in in data security, data privacy for so long, you know, you were talking about how there's been that back and forth, and how it's kind of surprising that it's the forefront of today in security around data privacy. It still seems so the right to be forgotten. Everybody knows that CCPA. Why, <clears throat> why is it still such a gray area when it comes to, because obviously with security and privacy, people still don't feel that, is there really the right to be forgotten when you actually, I mean, does that actually work, <laughs> especially with the internet nowadays? I mean, are you really gone when you actually do the right to be forgotten? Well, I, I think that's the that's the the central question. Can it really happen for, yeah. what, for the reasons you just said? Um, and, and I think it's yet to be tested. Although certainly this right to be forgotten or ghosted or whatever we want to term it as um, was is a technological issue as much as it is a social one. And, yeah. and so, so if you tell me that I need to forget or erase all traces of you because you've come as a, as a consumer to Cisco or whoever, and you want all these, these tracks erased, so to speak. How, how, how do you know that I've got all of them from your point of view? My challenge is how do I find out where all those tracks are? As we know that data sprawl is really a, a challenge. We go right, on premises right. to cloud, to mobile devices everywhere else. So how do I know where it all is? And that becomes a real challenge. And so when the laws have been coming out, a lot of people are sitting there going, how do I do this? How, how? And so that's why I think there's a lot of people questioning, um, where do I go? How do I get this done? Because it hasn't been ever done before. And there's really people are all asking the same questions. Right. Okay. So with all your years of being a CISO, do you think most companies go into it nowadays to incorporate privacy by design? Do you hear that term now more than ever? I, I more than ever, says starting when. I mean, when when am I posing the question? So if we go back a year ago, no, um, right. We're kind of all standing there waiting to see what how GDPR will be rolled out in Europe and how that's going to roll to us in in this country. Uh, probably not. I'll, although I think there are, if we were to fast forward to today and and kind of have that dialogue, probably more so. But I don't believe that it is the forefront of lots of discussions. And so I think that privacy is dealing with the same thing security has dealt with forever. And that is, we always used to say as, as security professionals, let's bake security in and not bolt it on. Right. I think 
privacy is now realizing that that's what they're dealing with. They have, we're bolting it on at the, at the very end. But I think you need to ask the question, why? Why is it that we're bolting it on? And I would have to argue that, one, the regulations are not that clear. In other words, there's a lot of gray area in any regulation. And I think they're done that way on purpose. And the interpretation of that regulation or how it's to be deployed a lot of times comes down to how the regulatory community is auditing against that compliance. And they really set a lot of that direction. We saw it with GLBA. We're going yeah. to see it with privacy. Yeah, good point because it it definitely seems for most most organizations the the driver is always compliance and the compliance team in, in general. I mean, it's it's a, it, it seems to be the the most important um, with organizations on on their decisions on what kind of tools and initiatives that they actually go for each year. Well, and think about some really small companies or startups or mom and pop companies who've been around forever and ever. Think about the burden this will place on their their own operations going forward. And so it is it really needs some deep consideration and forethought as to how do I as you as you brought out, how do I bring in privacy to the forefront along with security at, rather than bolted bolted on at the end? How do I bake it into my process so, exactly. that my not, so that my costs aren't so great and operationally I can fix it? But you still have all that historic data that you have to figure out. What am I going to do with now? And that, I think that's the biggest challenge is the, is the historic information that you want to forget me on or whatever. Do I have I found it all? I think that is the that's the uphill challenge right now. Yeah, I agree with you. What a, I guess just to kind of turn things over, you know, how, how long were you a CISO before you became an advisor? Almost 18 years in, in different, I wasn't CISO in one company or several companies I worked in, but right. about 18 years total that I was a CISO. What would you say a typical, I guess a typical lifeline for a CISO at, at, a, at one company? What kind of uh, tenure do you think that is uh, year wise? compared to like when you first became a CISO and nowadays, do you see a difference in short tenure compared to long tenure? Yeah. So I would, I would say historically it's getting better, but it's still not where it needs to be. So if I think about when I was originally a CISO and and there weren't very many of us way back then and it's kind of grown, but the average, the average tenure probably 10, 15 years ago was about 18 months for a CISO and, and now maybe it's 20, 24 months. So it's, it's getting better, but I think you need, you know, why is, why is it so short is the real question. Yeah. Do you want my so, answer or do you want me to guess? Yeah, I mean, no, I'd love your opinion. I, I, I yeah, I'm just my, curious. Yeah. I'll give you my never to be so humble opinion. I think there's, <laughs> there's two reasons for it in my mind. And, and who knows? I, I certainly am not an expert in any of this. I haven't done any studies. This is my gut tell, talking right. to me. Um, one I would say is that CISOs come in with a large burden of responsibility. Sometimes they have um, the responsibility, but not the accountability, and that's set, setting somebody up for failure. In other words, they're responsible to make it work right, but they can't force somebody to do it or they can't make the change. And so when CISOs right. try to push change through too quickly, they're, they're looked at as, well, you don't fit our culture, blah, blah, blah. And, and either they will go out of frustration, they'll leave the company out of frustration, or the rest of the life. I think that's one, one reason. The other reason I would think is 
that as as things have rapidly changed over, especially the last two, three years, the rush to the cloud, privacy, all these things coming to the forefront, CISOs now need more than ever before need to understand and support business concepts, the business itself. And many times CISOs want to still talk bits and bytes, zeros and ones, mm-hmm. and have a hard time talking about EBITDA, um, debt earning ratio, you know, all those kinds of uh, financial information, but they need to be bilingual. They need to talk the language of security and the language of business. And I think many times they lag, and but it's getting better. I've seen it getting better, but they're lagging a little bit in that. So I think those are the two reasons in my mind. That's great. Thanks for doing that. Now, I have a question for you, and uh, we've kind of talked about this before. So it seems there's some kind of a disconnect between the title of CIO and CISO when it comes to priorities and the direction they should go for organizations with the security posture. I just want to know from your experience, why is that? And is is there some kind of a harmony to it, or are we getting there um, is that common, that disconnect? So I, I, let's look at this over time. Okay. Um, historically, we, we as CISOs naturally reported to the CIO. Um, the, the challenge for, for a CISO in that scenario is that that CIO then controls the CISO's budget. So effectively, who's running security? It's the CIO. Um, right. And so there, there is a lack of, of um, the the balances that need to be there. And we see, again, going forward in time, in my own career, I've reported to CIO, as I mentioned, and I've reported to a CFO um, who knew every dollar and nickel and dime I spent and wanted to ask me about every nickel and dollar and dime. (laughs) Um, And that's their role, so get it, right? And then I've reported to a COO, which was probably the best for me, and that's, I think, not necessarily that everyone should report to a COO, but I think it gives you, you're separate from accounting, you're separate from finance, and you're separate from IT. And so now you're at, at an operational level. And also the, our, the, the COO and my personalities really meshed well. And so that was also part of why I think it was the best for me. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the, the key, and I've also reported to a risk officer, which is separate than anything else. And so depending on one, the culture of the organization and the strengths and weaknesses of the individual CISO, I think that determines where he or she should be sitting in an organization. But I, I would argue that it really needs to be separate from the CIO. And you talked about the tension. I think that's a good thing. If you think about it, the CIO's job or IT's job is to keep that pipe open and information flowing as fast as it can. So it's analogous right. to a race car driver. Pedal to the metal, go as fast as you can. My job as a CISO, I'm sitting there saying, you know, you're coming up on a curve here. You might want to slow down. And if the CIO doesn't want to listen to me and wants to go as fast as he wants, then I have to put the brake on. And then, then we, they get that tension. So that tension is okay as long as you can discuss it. But here's the other thing I'll tell you about CISOs is they, they, you can't say no. You can't say no, you cannot do that without yeah. giving an alternative because then, they, again, you've lost the whole focus of the business. So over time, you see that thing changing, and I would hope that we would see some CISOs reporting into CEOs at some point in time because it is they're telling us it's board level. Well, then the CEO should own a little bit more, and, and let, but we as CISOs need to step up and own it as well, being capable to talk finance and everything else to, to, to talk at that level. So there's some yin and yang on both sides. Yeah, 
Great. Thank you. So that kind of transitions beautifully into to this next question. So uh, obviously we were privacy pleased. So data, data privacy, when you're a CISO and you're in an organization, there's, there's a lot of new, there's, there's some new changes coming up with new titles like data privacy officer. And I'm just curious, do you see a trend in companies kind of throwing anything related to data privacy onto the CISO because they don't have the funds or they don't see the need to actually hire a data privacy officer. Um, what, are you, what are you seeing nowadays in companies uh, around this topic? So I, I know that historically I, I, was, I was the chief privacy officer at one point in time, plus security, plus blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. and why was that? I think back when I was the privacy officer, there wasn't a lot of focus on privacy that there was today. We're talking, you know, 10 years ago, I think that's yeah. the last time I had that role. But yes, we are seeing for companies that don't have like a chief digital officer or a chief privacy officer or, or someone other than um, other than uh, an IT person or a security person that would have security, then yeah, I think it gets thrown, I call it thrown over to the wall to the CISO. Yeah. And, and maybe it's convenient because the CISO is always dealing with regulatory issues anyway. And I think that's why. Right. A lot of companies put it there. I don't think it's a good fit long term, but for now, okay, let's 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 get it there. Put the right processes in place, but understand that not everything within the purview of that privacy officer really relates to a security issue, and so there needs to be some uh, shared accountability somewhere, and you have to work out those details. But I think over time, we're going to see more and more uh, focus, like we do with CISOs, on privacy. It's, it's kind of a, we're kind of at an emergence of that whole issue right now. Yeah. You're definitely seeing, seeing that. And it's, it's neat when there is a company that has a data privacy officer and a CISO, um, just because you can see that I, I, well, at least in my opinion, it looks like that company or whoever's running that company is, is kind of looking ahead to the future and they're, they're just taking the initiative to stay on top of everything. And I also think I think those those privacy officers are learning their role as well. I, I worked yeah. with one privacy officer in my last job who wanted to tell me how to run security. And this, <laughs> this attorney actually went out and passed the CISSP exam and all those kinds of things. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you're an attorney, focus on privacy. Don't tell me how to run security. But so so there will be some give and take personality and everything else that's going on. But sure. all in all, I would much rather have a privacy officer separate from me than not. Yeah. Chris, Gabe Gums here. Just going to dive right in and, and, and jump into this conversation. Welcome, Gabe. Thanks, gentlemen. I've been been sitting back and enjoying this conversation. Um, But you guys are right in the middle of of something that Chris and I have been discussing, and I want to bring up for our audience also, though, right? So privacy operations. I I have some opinions on where these things kind of will start making their way up into the organization. But you kind of highlight, Chris, that uh, as – as that being something that was already within the purview of your part of the organization and something that you believe is is well suited for CISOs to understand and maybe even CIOs to be a part of as as folks uh, you know in the overall ecosystem of, of owning the data processing, et cetera, where do you see privacy operations um, kind of fitting in into the 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 overall purview of the CISO? So this is a really complex discussion here and that and because one it's new and, and two you have to understand that 
why why security and privacy were close allies to begin with. And if you look at the precepts of uh, confidentiality, data integrity, and so forth, privacy is really foundational to the CISO's role. Where it becomes, when we start talking about privacy operations, um, certainly there are components of security that are very, very critical that need to be complied with to secure that data. But when you start talking about um, camera, as Cameron and I were talking about earlier, uh, ghosting, I call it ghosting people, forgetting a person. Those are yeah. actually get down to the database structure and running of a database that a CISO is not a DBA, does not get involved. And I will tell you, every DBA on the planet would say, you security people stay away from my database. And so <laughs> there, there are elements and components that are outside the operational purview today of a CISO. So then again, we need whoever operates that today, which tends to be the CIO. And we're going to see different changes of things going forward that then then say to other operational people, how long am I supposed to maintain my data? Maybe it's different for this type of customer versus another. And the CISO, again, operationally does not manage those, those backups, those restorations, et cetera, that again, need to be coordinated uh, with other groups of people. So if the CISO is wearing that hat today, we're now adding more workload to what he or she is doing, as opposed to some of this privacy operation stuff that is jointly owned by IT and security. Then you bring in this new data privacy officer who, who may be an attorney, they tend to be the ones I know were attorneys, who have no operational experience at all. And so they don't understand the concepts of 24-7, 365, follow the sun, all these kinds of things that operation people live with all the time. So you can see how difficult and convoluted this becomes very quickly and why there's a lot of, of um, uh, I don't know, what juggling of these balls and trying to figure out who's on first and who's doing what on first. I think it's going to be, it's going to be several years before we work all this out, but... Bottom line, in my mind, Gabe, is that we will see emergence of a privacy operations center, just like we did from the, the network operations center was born, the security operations center. And from the security, I think we will have the birth of a privacy operations center. No, no, I appreciate that perspective. I'm in wholehearted agreement with that, right? Uh, I, I see it also, um, and you tell me you know, wh- where you disagree or, or agree for that matter. Um, I, I see it as, as somewhat natural, right? I, I, when I look at a security operations center and, and having also been a member of and, and ran security operations teams, there is, there's a lot of tools and processes already in place that seem to naturally align with a lot of what we need to at least do today around privacy operations. Those things certainly might um, plausibly, uh, you know, evolve beyond that. But I, I don't see I don't see an evolution in, into the need for a, a separate operations uh, center for privacy when so much of that seems to fit naturally into what we have in, in our security operations centers today, too. So interesting perspective. I, I would I guess I'll argue a little bit. I would think I, I, today I would agree with you. Why would we separate uh, privacy operations from security or anything else? It makes sense to me. 1980, if we were to ask that same question about security and IT, we said, well, there is no reason to separate them because they're one and the same. But over right. time, I think we will see uh, um, changes to the privacy laws, changes to the requirements that will, I think, will start. We'll start to see a separation of what you had just talked about, where a lot of the processes are the same. I think we will see and say change. But for now, you're right. Let's leave it alone. Let's let it grow and mature and see where 
the laws and operationally where we go. I think technology will change over that time period of time. If you think about IoT, how it's just blown into the environment, and, and there's a lot of privacy issues around IoT, if it's a pacemaker and other things, things that we haven't even thought about yet, which is why I say that a year from now, two years from now, we may have a completely different conversation. Yeah, indeed. So um, I'm curious, what, Chris, what is your biggest challenge uh, being the CISO advisor for Cisco? What, what's your biggest challenge today? Probably a lot. <laughs> I was gonna think, do I have to get on another airplane? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> especially now. Um, I, I would say that the, the biggest challenge, you have to understand what I do. So, and that there's two, two large buckets. I have several lot, lot, littler ones, but two large ones. One is actually working with the CISO community um, around the globe. So that's a big part of it. And, and, and certainly I have relationships with lots of CISOs. The other is working with Cisco in making sure that Cisco understands the challenges of the modern day CISO so that its right. products and everything else are tweaked. So I would say understanding those are two big buckets. My biggest challenge today is having that CISO that I, who wants to have a discussion, who needs to sit down and have a discussion, that that CISO is so stretched with all the other things going on, sometimes it's difficult for him or her just to sit down and have that one-on-one conversation. When, when we're lucky enough to, that the planets align, everyone's schedules align, you move that bar a great deal. And, and the nice thing about my role and, and those who work with me, no, I have no sales quota. I don't have to, to uh, wave the Cisco banner everywhere I go. We talk about business issues, the changes in the environment and the culture and all those things. And, and the CISO is in the middle of that. And privacy right now is, is really top on their plate just because of all the things and the changes are going on. So having that time for me to sit down, not my time, but his or her time, the CISO's time right. is really difficult sometimes to, to get. You know, I wouldn't mind double clicking a little into one of those those new challenges that I really see emerging when I'm, I'm talking to some folks. And much like yourself, I am I'm equally lucky in so much that I don't have to carry a, I, I carry a bag, but not a quota, I, as I like to say, right? And so I, so people open up to me about a lot of their challenges. And one of those around privacy in particular keeps coming back to this, this notion of the right to be forgotten and, and things of that nature um, and the right for, for, for subjects to be able to control their data. I happen on a personal level to think that that is awesome. I've been a champion of that for some time. Obviously, you know, a privacy please prod- podcast, that's what we're all about here. But how do you do that? How do you, how do you operationally, how do you as a business retain the business value of the information that is the lifeblood of what you do, the buying habits, the behaviors of individuals, all of those things, and still pr- respect their privacy? Where do you begin in thinking about that problem? Because I don't think we can, I don't think there's a neat answer to how you solve it. So I certainly want to put you on the spot for that. But where should they even start about thinking about that problem? Well, you know, first of all, this this right to be forgotten piece that everyone likes to glob onto. I, I really would like to go out and do a study. How many times has that been exercised with a company? I, I don't know whether there's a lot of people who are exercising on that. Maybe I'm wrong, and I, I would bet that if we were to take that population of, let's say, it's, let's just pick a number. Let's say it's 100 people. Of that 100 people. How many of those 100 people were just really frustrated and angry and just want to be getting out of there? So, so again, we understand a little bit more what's going on. But, again, I don't think we know. 
um, how many people or what, how big this, this elephant is. But having said that, I think the issue is, is extremely difficult to resolve. And that's because we have over time and many companies have been around forever and ever, you have data sprawl. And so where are all these pieces? Gabe, back to your question, where are all these pieces of, of information that I need to forget? Can I identify them all? Do I know where they are? Um, and then secondly, do I have a well-defined process in place? Who does it, et cetera? How do I verify and so forth? So I think those are two of, of the questions. And I know I've only been with Cisco for a little over a year. I was a CISO just prior. And this was one of the things we were dealing with. We were struggling with, one, identifying all the, all the little threads and pieces where it was. But then once we identified it, um, how are we going to prove to a customer or to a regulatory agency that we really did do what they said? And there was some database juggling and there was applications that were being changed. So there was a lot of heavy lifting going on. And I believe it's still going on today. The mom and pop shops, the smaller companies, the small enterprises, this is going to be a huge burden for them to overcome. I think it's going to take time. Yeah. To say the least of the paradox of in order for me to continuously know that I'm protecting your privacy and have forgotten about you, do I need to retain something to know that? <laughs> I, we, we were concerned at that my last employer that we had that we actually put a cert we had a, a digital cert we put on every time a record was forgotten but yeah you have that at least you have that cert that was out there proving that we forgot that individual but remember that if there, when you say you want to be forgotten if there are other legal reasons why your information is going to stay out there maybe you had a mm-hmm. low that information is going to stay irrespective of your requirements or your request to be forgotten. There will be pieces of information based on what your historic interactions with the company has been that are still going to be there regardless of what you want to say because there are other reasons that they have to stay. Like I said, if there's a loan, there might be other – you can kind of work backwards all the way through it. So think think how the, uh, the attorneys are struggling to figure out how do we craft a statement that does this and this and the data flows and – how do I automate it? And, and so it is really, really difficult problem that we're dealing with right now. But it'll be resolved. It's going to take a little bit of time. Indeed. Quite the challenge. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I know, <clears throat> I know we're coming up on a hard stop here, Chris, and I want to respect that. I think we're going to have a two-part series anyways because there's – I mean, we could talk about this for hours diving into the right, right to be forgotten. But is there anything that, that I didn't ask or that Gabe didn't bring up that you wanted to kind of uh, talk about on your end around data privacy before I, I wrap up with my last question? Yeah. So I, I would say one of the things that a good thing that's coming out of this being forgotten discussion that we've been having is the identification of where all these pieces of data are. So, so let's, let's put my CISO hat on, pure CISO, no privacy. A breach occurs, you know, th- that right. word that nobody wants to hear, the B word. Um, and, and so because it's very difficult to really say with certainty that we know that only this server was breached and on this server only was this information and therefore I'm reducing my notification because I don't have to notify everybody, I'm just notifying people who are on the server that will be a positive thing because I'm now identifying where all these pieces of information are. So I'm limiting, I'll be able to limit my breach notification, which then is a good thing. Um, The the other side of that is that when we, when we see these bits and pieces of information, we tend to move them into one space. We control all of them and there's a good and bad with that. So, so 
understand I think there are some very positive elements on breach notification that are coming out of this move. Uh, still yet to be seen how we can identify all the pieces and still yet to be seen how much it's going to cost us all. DLBA is a good example that is one little paragraph. You look at the initial Graham-Leach-Bliley Act that was specifically for financial services. It's a paragraph. And it turned into a multi-billion dollar consulting gig for a lot of different companies. And so I think we're going to see a similar path here today. That's awesome. I mean, that might run into my question, what you kind of just touched on. But um, I just I like to end the episodes with, from your personal perspective, what, what are you most excited for now that it's 2020 um, for data privacy and cybersecurity? What are you most excited to see happen from this point on? Excited. <laughs> um, I, I, I guess I, I want to see. The, so let's. There's a lot of things that come into play here. So we talk about data privacy and security, and and but the data privacy piece then says, okay, if I'm in in Canada, my data only stays in Canada. So we have issues around that right. identification piece, but it helps me secure an environment better because I know that my data is only in this area. I can, I can limit, again, limit my scope. I think these are positive steps that help the CISO work with the privacy individuals in, in securing that information, cleaning up that information, and yep. then also helps me reduce risk because, again, I'm getting rid of old stuff that I shouldn't have anyway. So I'm reducing my risk, which maybe is, is and reducing storage, everything else. And so maybe that's some some capital coming back to a company, but it also is going to accelerate. And I think this is the cool part. It's accelerating our digital transformation that we keep talking about. It's because we are basically cleaning out our garage and you hate to clean that garage out. But once you're done, boy, are you glad you did. And so I think we're in this, we're in the middle of cleaning our garage out. It's halfway done. We look at it and you go, oh my gosh, why did I start this? I'm never going to get done. You power through and you get done and you're glad you did. So let's get our garages clean and have have a safer, um, more uh, nimble environment in which to work. Awesome. Well, you hear that, guys? Let's have some garage sales and clean that out. So, well, <laughs> well we Chris, can't sell identities. Be careful what we're selling. <laughs> <our garage. laughs> That's a good point. Good point. <laughs> well, Chris, thank you uh, so much for being on. We really appreciate your time and your insight. Hope to hope to have you back. I don't know if Gabe, you want to say anything? Uh, last words. No, I appreciate your time for sure. Uh, Chris, is there any place you're going to be over the next couple of weeks or months talking at a uh, conference anywhere that you may want to yeah. plug so folks can come see you in person? Um, well, there, there are a number of places, but I, a lot of these are up in the air right now because of our, our uh, current uh, coronavirus uh, yes. thing. So, you know, for, I'll give you an example. I'm supposed to be in Atlanta next week. It was canceled. Um, yeah. I'm going to be speaking in North Carolina and New York, but again, we're still waiting to see how this is all going to play out. So I'd rather than me plug anything, Gabe, and thank you for the, for that opportunity. I'm, I'm a little leery, so we're going to wait and see. Duly noted. Well, on that note, I'll just like to remind our audience to wash their hands like they just cut a pound of jalapenos. <laughs> <laughs> Don't rub your eyes. Don't rub your all eyes. Right. <laughs> well, thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate your time. Nope. Thank you. It was, it was very. It was fun. Awesome. Thanks again for tuning in to Privacy Please. This podcast is brought to you by Spirion, protecting what matters most. Join us next week 
and every week as we delve into the intriguing world of security and privacy. You can email us at privacyplease at spirion.com and hit us up on our Twitter at privacyplspod. If you want to read more into these topics, check out our blogs on spirion.com. Again, I'm Cameron Ivey, an all-around decent guy. Until next time. Oh, thank you.